All right. So we are in a the Books of the Bible series. Every summer for the next, I guess, four years to five years, we are going through the books of the Bible. That means for a couple of years, we're just in the Old Testament. Now, the Bible is divided into two parts, the Old Testament, the story of God and Israel, and the New Testament, the story of God and everyone. And that's just the short version of that. But we're in the Old Testament, and in particular, we are in the Psalms, which is kind of smack dab in the middle of the Old Testament. But Psalms falls into the wisdom literature. Now, if you've ever heard anybody like Jesus talk about the Old Testament, he would say things like the law and the prophets. Most of the time, the way that the ancient people would refer to the Old Testament is the law, or really their scripture, the Jewish person's scripture, is the law, the prophets, and the writings. We're in the writings, and in particular, we're in something called wisdom literature. Now, here's what the wisdom literature in the Old Testament is. It is Google and Yahoo Answers. This is all it is. This is the ancient person's Google. So when the ancient person wants to know why is there so much suffering in the world and begins to look at, you know, for us, maybe we would contemplate it. Then we check out somebody's blog who recommended, you know, we read so-and-so. And so instead of reading so-and-so, we would just go read all of their quotes out of context. But we would have some idea about suffering in the world. But for the ancient person, Job is offered to us to wrestle with why there is suffering in the world. And Mark did a fabulous, fabulous job of talking through Job in 45 minutes, which is 30 some odd chapters. Impressive. Not as impressive as what I'm about to do. Psalms is the place, the next book is the place in the wisdom literature where you might go to figure out how you deal with your emotions and who God is. What is reality or what is the reality behind reality? This is kind of the wrestling on the ground, right? Boots to the ground. That's what this is, Psalms is. Now, Proverbs, Proverbs is Yahoo Answers. Proverbs is basically a bunch of truth statements about the way things should be and are normally are. If you do this, this will happen. It's not, it will always happen this way, but here's the Yahoo answer. There may be six or seven other ones, and they're, they're 90% agree, 87% agree, but that's what Proverbs is. It's Yahoo Answers for the Old Testament. Now, Ecclesiastes is really uh, those obscure places you would go on the internet to figure out the meaning of life, right? Maybe you're in one of those Jordan Peterson groups. Well, that's the Ecclesiastes group. You're searching for meaning. Ecclesiastes talks about the meaning of life. And so that's what that would give us. Now, the last book in the wisdom literature is the Song of Solomon. And the Song of Solomon is two interesting ideas. One, what are you supposed to do with your sexuality? And two, how do we describe the experience of an intimate relationship with the living God? What is this ecstasy experience that we have when we come together with God? It is almost like the romantic experience of falling in love. So these are the wisdom literature. Now, for you and I today, in the next 30 minutes, my job is to talk to you about Psalms, 150 writings that I'm going to talk to you about today. 
So to understand that, I'm just going to give you a little bit of guidelines because what my goal is today is to help you read the Psalms and to help you understand why the Psalms are there. So number one, I'm just going to say this really clearly, Psalms are basically, the word simply means praise, hymns, poetry. Like you can fit a lot of things into the meaning of the word Psalms, from its Greek translation to its Hebrew to its Latin to its English. But it's a collection of songs, hymns, poetry, and poetic max truth maxims or truth statements. So here's the thing that you need to understand when you pick up this book. It is designed to read from Psalm 1 to Psalm 150. It is not designed for you to read cherry-picked, meaning you open up Psalm and this is your favorite Psalm. Now, if you're someone who's read Psalms from 1 to 150 and do that regularly, then you get to cherry-pick it because you understand the context of each one of these Psalms that you're pulling out and what it's trying to tell you. Here's the beauty of Psalms. The beauty of Psalms is that it moves from lament to praise. You will notice as you read from Psalm 1 all the way to Psalm 150 that the beginning is packed full of lament, while the end begins to be picking up in more praise kinds of songs and poetry. So what is lament? This is important, especially as we move into the later books that we're going to be discussing over the next two years. Lament is your raw emotions what that emotional experience is when you come up against suffering, injustice, and the brokenness of this world. Lament is that experience deep in your gut when you see injustice, experience injustice, when you experience suffering and see suffering, when you experience the broken world you live in. Praise, which is the other part of Psalms, is when the truth of God, who he is, his sovereignty, his justice, his love, his mercy, his peace, is proclaimed. In the Psalms, and here's the beauty, and this is why this lament to praise thing happens, is that it's the truth of God in all his sovereignty, justice, mercy, coming and intertwining with your raw emotional experience of the brokenness, suffering, and injustice of the world. And guess what happens? The, Psalm, the Psalms' goal is to create a tension that it invites you to live in. Because you and I live in the extreme. What we would like to do is be in a lament mode and then be depressed. Or we would like to pretend that there is nothing there and that life is good and God will take care of it and everything's okay. Yay, God. Right? And if I just do enough feel-good stuff about God, that'll solve everything here. And no, the Psalms say, you need to live in this tension. Okay? I want to give you an example of that. Psalm 42, which you heard read... I'm going to read it to you again, is the expression of both lament and praise and this interplay that happens in the book of Psalms. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God for the living God. When can I go up and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throngs. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, 
and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of the Hemron, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of the waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will praise him, my Savior and my God. The ancient saint Jerome, who translated the Greek Bible into Latin, and it's called the Vulgate, a student of the scripture, he was asked where someone should start to read the Bible if they'd never read it before. And he said, start in the Psalms, because the Psalms connect you with God. They connect you with his heart, and they get you excited about the words that he has to say. The Psalms are the place where we learn to express what is in us and come to terms with who God is. Now, for a lot of you, like me, you probably grew up even if you're not a follower of Jesus, knowing about King David, at least at the point of David killing Goliath, right? That's a a story that most people know. But you also kind of connect David with the Psalms because he's sort of this musician. That's what everybody thinks of him, right? David and the Psalms. Well, David didn't write all the Psalms. In fact, David wrote 73 of the 150. We can confidently say that. But there was a whole collection of people who wrote the Psalms, which makes me relatively excited because as we're singing the Psalms, you heard at the beginning, if you tuned in early, that all of the Psalms that we sing are written by a different author in the village. They offered their own musical interpretation. So you have like six or seven people who have written Psalms or written music to the Psalms in our community. Now, In the particular Psalms, 73 are David, 12 of them are Asaphs, 11 are sons of Korah, 2 Herman and Ethan, 3 are Solomon and Moses, and 49, nobody knows. But they make up 150 Psalms, hymns and poems, that are intended to bring us from lament to praise, invite us to live in tension. And what happens in that tension, if we're willing to live in it, it develops a faith in us that helps us look forward to God's deliverance of us in the midst of injustice, suffering, and a broken world. Now, I would like to help you read the Psalms. And I would like to give you an outline of the Psalms so that when you read a particular Psalm, you can have the backdrop in mind. And you can know what's happening and maybe what the goal of that psalm is in developing in you and in your community. So first, if you open up your psalms, and here's what I would suggest, is that you get your app and you look at psalms in your Bible app or you pick up a Bible. Because what you're going to notice is that it is divided into five books. The psalms are divided into five books. Now, this is, or there's a reason for that. The psalms though they've been written over 300 some odd years probably, are considered the second Torah, okay? Or the second law. So you have the law, which 
at the moment of the Psalms, we're talking about the first five books of the Bible when we hear the law referred to in the Old Testament. The Psalms are considered to be the second Torah, or in a way, and not in an inspired way, but the living Torah, the place that you are in in a rhythmic way. You're invited into the Psalms all the time. Each, there, are five, you know, there are five books in the, in the Pentateuch, and there are five books of the Psalms. Now, I want to break this down for you. So we're going to just go book by book, and I'm going to give you kind of a breakdown of it and how to look at things. So first, we're going to look at book one. And book one is Psalm 1 to Psalm 41. But Psalm 1 and 2 aren't really part of book one. They're actually the introduction to the entire book. Psalm 2 establishes that all of Psalms rest under God and the Messianic and, and the Messiah. They rest under God himself. But Psalm 1 kind of gives us what we're to look for and how we're to understand the psalm. So we're going to read Psalm 1 and I'll break that down for you. Psalm 1 goes like this. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Do not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor the sinner in the assembly of righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, there's a picture in here, and that is that if you and I read the Psalms through from 1 to 50, 150, what we're going to experience is a stream of water that will plant us like a tree and we will become righteous people. That we won't be tossed back and forth, but actually the Psalms will root us. Now here's the beauty of this. When we live, living in a world like we do, where let's just imagine, it's very easy, the fire is coming down the mountain, the pandemic has isolated you, and there is social unrest in your community. This elevates you, creates anxiety and fear and and just, wow, I don't know what the future is going to look like economically. And then there is even, you want to put something on top of that, the Chinese are moving carriers all over the place and, and flexing their muscle to create some more anxiety for you. What the Psalms can do for us is help us anchor next to a stream that will make us trees, will bring, will push the anxiety and the fear away and help us bring our burdens onto God and to follow where God is leading us. So, Psalm 3 to Psalm 41 is book one. And in book one, this is the way I would interpret it, and this is kind of the theme. Book one is David learning to deal with reality when it's not the way he wants it, and David learning to rest when the world isn't going the way he wants it. So to rest in God. Think about it this way. David, which is a big part of the Psalms, at this point in this chapter, or in this section of the book, lots of these Psalms have to do with David running away from Saul. He's been told that he's going to be king, but the actual king is trying to kill him. He's mixed up in court intrigue. 
He's his best friend is always in danger. He's watched people he loves die. He's had to be a crazy man with the Philistines. Three through 41 is the shaping of David's heart and the teaching of him to rest in God. Now that's not every single Psalm there, but it's the majority of them. So when you read from 3 to 41, those are the things you have to be listening for. How is my heart being shaped in places where I don't want to be, where things aren't the way they're supposed to be? What is God doing to my heart? How is he inviting me to rest? If you don't think that's a true theme, then look at the most popular psalm in the entire psalm book of all 150, Psalm 23, which expresses both of these ideas, and they are written by David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you you hear that? David is saying, things aren't going the way I want. And yet you are the one who is shaping me. My, my, my enemy is in front of me and, and pushing in on me, and yet you invite me to rest and you set a table before me. Psalm 23, David is saying, God is shaping my heart even when things aren't going the way I want them to. And God is teaching me to rest even though things are not going the way I want them to. It, it kind of harkens to, to Matthew 11 where, where, where Jesus invites us to give us his burden, or our burden not his burden. So book one is a shaping of our heart, a shaping of David's heart, an invitation for us to rest, an invitation for David to rest, even though things are not going the way we want them to be. Now book two is 42 to 72. David has become king. This is David's psalm book. Now this is not 100%. These are generalizations. But in book Uh, Psalm 42 to 72 in book two, we have David's patriotic songs for his community. Here's an interesting thing. Anytime that you want to get people together, how do you do it? Well, you entertain them and you sing songs, right? And here's why. Think about when you meet somebody. What are the two things you quickly talk about, try to connect? Well, what kind of movies do they like or what kind of movies have they seen? Or what kind of songs do they know or what kind of bands do they like? Here, let me ruin your day. Oh, I won't even say any of the songs. I'll just say Disney songs. Disney songs connect all of us because all we have to do is hear the word Disney and we hear a song that we can't get out of our head. Music connects us. And David, who is a musician, understands that music connects us. And so as he has come into the kingdom, and now he is the king, and he has to bring 12 tribes together, these 42 to 72 are his songs of bringing the community together and connecting them to God. 
So from 42 to 72, what he is doing is saying, you all belong to one another and we all belong to God. And in the moment of trouble, we need to remember that we all belong together and we all belong to God and we're following God. Maybe the second, I don't know, at least in my mind, the second most popular psalm in the Bible, Psalm 46, which is smack dab in the the middle, in a sense, of this idea, expresses in book two exactly what book two is about. Listen to it. You'll, You'll hear this. It's a very patriotic song, and it brings people together and it connects them to God. God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Selah. There is a river whose stream makes glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolation he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Just a few things to note there. It's we, our it's a connecting of the community. It says we belong together, but then quickly David establishes what? Or the writer establishes what? He establishes that we all are in subjection to God and we are connected to God. And God is the only way for us to survive any kind of danger and any kind of burden of the world and any kind of fire coming off the mountain or pandemic is if we follow God into these things who is in control of all things. And then you also note that there's this word, Selah, which exists everywhere in the Psalms. And that simply means stop for a moment. And I think this is beautiful because you know what? In our culture, so often, what are we doing? We believe that everybody has ADD and nobody can focus. And it's a result of modern times. The Selah is to handle us ADD, non-focusing people who are trying to read the Psalms. Selah says, here's this little chunk. Nope, focus. Don't read to the next one. Let's just, let, let's focus on these few words before we move on. Okay, everybody focus. Pay attention. And so, book one, or book two, invites us to be connected to one another and as a community be connected in a following of God. So book one shapes us. Book two invites us to be connected and follow God Book three is, chap- is, is Psalm 73 to Psalm 89. These were written in the 8th century. Now, some of that's not completely true. Not all of them were written in the 8th century BC, but they were collected then and sung then. And this is during the Assyrian oppression. And here's the theme of these. Why is bad winning? Why does bad triumph over good? There's a lot of lament in 73 to 89. And there's a lot of wrestling with our 
consequence of sin, like the things we've done and what it has cost. And when the Assyrians were, were attacking and taking the northern kingdom and all that kind of stuff, the songs of the people focused on book 3, 73, 89. This is where they were collected and they were singing them. And the thing that they were saying is, why the heck is all of this happening to us? And what have we done and why have we done it? Psalm 82 expresses or illustrates this idea well. Psalm 82. God presides in the great assembly. He gives judgment among the gods. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Defend the cause of the weak and fatherless. Maintain the rightness of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They know nothing. They understand nothing. They talk about walk about in the darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said to you, I said, you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High, but you will die like mere men. You will fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God. Judge the earth, for all the nations are your inheritance. This is such a beautiful, complicated, anxious, frustrated poem that is talking about injustice and suffering, and then it's also talking about God's right to judge, and it's begging him to intervene. Book three invites us and gives us words to speak about what is happening in our world. It gives us words. It helps us lament. It helps us emotionally react to fire burning us, to the pandemic, to social unrest, to political strife, to war, all these things. Book four, I mean, book three invites us, 73 to 89, to face our own sin and to lament injustice and suffering and brokenness. Here's why I want you to know this, is as you think about this, book three is a place right now in this moment in time you should be in reading over and over again and wrestling with its words and applying it forward into what is happening in this world. Now book four is verses, or Psalm 90 to 106. And if Book three is lament and consequence for sin and why is bad winning in the midst of oppression. Book four is what was sung during exile, which we're kind of familiar with. We have been singing some songs of exile. We sing songs of Daniel. And these are actually the songs 90 to 106 of what Daniel and his community were singing, what the people around Jeremiah in Babylonian exile were singing. These are the words of exile. But here's what's beautiful about the theme of all of these, is really they come to this reality over and over again, is that we can't get out of exile without God. We can't live in exile without God. We can't do it. And, and so what it is, is this, this beautiful um, kind of wrestling with our own powerlessness and the need for God to intervene and do something. 
Now, what's really fascinating is that some people would call these the temple songs. These are the songs that we sit in the temple and sing because they bring us to the reality that we want to be in the place where we know God will act. We want to be in that place because we can't be in any other place. We, we are powerless. Psalm um, 90, which is the longer one of what I'll read today, is a good example of this. Understanding that we can't do it. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations, before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back into dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of night. They are like the new grass of the morning, though in the morning it springs up new. By evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have, set your, your iniquity, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow for they quickly pass away and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is great as the fear does do you. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing of your, for joy and be glad in our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands." When you understand that that psalm is sung out of exile, you get it. You get what's happening here. They're saying, we, without you intervening in every little aspect of our life, it's terrifying. You're terrifying. Our brokenness is terrifying. So if you would intervene, we could be joyful. We could be glad. We could actually have meaning in what we do. We need you. Book four is a simple thing. Without you, we are nothing. We need you. We can't do this. We can't make it back to Jerusalem, rebuild the temple. Right? We can't do it. Book five. Book five goes from 107 to 150. Now, Psalm 145 to 150, you could actually consider not part of the book. They're the conclusion to the entire psalm. Each one, I think, ends with hallelujah. And they are exciting psalms because they are talking about what happens when God makes everything right, how we will feel, what will happen. And they're really joyous songs. They're songs of praise. But what's beautiful about 107 to 150 is that these are songs about moving out of exile and into hope moving out of exile and into praise. And here's the context. These are the songs that were collected and sung during the time of Nehemiah and Ezra and Zerubbabel when they were building the second temple. 
And in them, you have two fascinating things. One, you have Psalm 119, which is the Hebrew alphabet about the law of God. And then you have the songs of ascent, which are about going up on this, um, up a hill, basically up to Jerusalem, up to the temple, up to go to worship. And there are songs that you would sing as you head with people to worship. There's this transition out of lament and pain and suffering and exile into a joy of the temple being built and everything being made right. These are the psalms that you and I as followers of Jesus are invited to sing over and over again. Because we know that they have been completed and are going to be completed. Because now you and I are the temple of God. Now, because of what Christ did on the cross, we know that he has brought all things to be new. You and I are new creations if we are in Christ. It connects us and invites us to jump up and down. And Psalm 150 invites us to bang on things and make loud noises in excitement for what God is doing. But what's important when you read these last, this last book is to see the progression, to know that there is a movement, and together we are moving towards celebration, towards a completion of all things. They invite us as followers of Jesus to look towards the second coming, to look towards the re- revelation when 20 and 21, when the new Jerusalem comes down, when all things are made new through God. They invite us to look forward. The Psalms are not intended for us to cherry pick every so often. The Psalms are intended for us to read every single day, one through 50, over and over and over again as we move forward in our life. Because the book of Psalms is, if you could imagine, it is the trauma therapy of the Bible. It is the thing that invites us to be regulated. It's the thing that invites us to to center ourselves on our own expression of our emotions and the reality of who God is. So, in the social unrest and in the pandemic and in the fire and in the world that just seems to be in turmoil, the Psalms invite us into something new that's very ancient. And this, that is, is that as you pick them up, they invite you, even though things aren't the way it's supposed to be, to have your heart shaped by God and to actually give him your burdens. They instruct you on how to give God your burden. They tell you and remind you that you are connected to God and God is the one that leads out and you're to follow him and he is sovereign in all things and he hasn't stopped. They challenge you to cry out for those who are experiencing injustice and suffering and to walk alongside them and to confess your sins and acknowledge the consequences and ask God to bring justice on those who are evil. The Psalms invite you to actually give up your power, to realize I can't do it if God will not intervene. That all that I might do to bring goodness into this world means nothing if God has not put his power and his spirit behind my hand. And then the Psalms invite us to leave exile and to celebrate 
being part of the kingdom of God with sheer joy and noise and excitement. If you're willing to walk that path, and if you're willing to have that backdrop when you read the Psalms, I would argue that you will be transformed. Let me close with uh, this idea. Return, to return back to just what I said at the beginning. Psalms are about inviting you into lament and into praise and to experience that tension and learn to live in it. Because if you can, like Psalm 1 tells us, you will become a tree planted by a stream of water. Guess what the stream is? The Psalms. God revealed in the Psalms is the stream. If you can do that, I would argue that your life will be transformed. I hope that you're excited about reading the Psalms. My invitation is over the next, you know, two months that you work your way through the Psalms. Let's pray.